This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to episode 177 of the Broadcast Podcast. In this episode, we've taken a session from the recent Catalyst Hub Conference in Worcester. Adrian Hurst was with us and he introduced the idea of pause, centre and continue for a healthy spiritual life. There was an initial problem with the recording, so we're going to pick up a few minutes in. One of the things I try and do is personally uh, make sure I have retreat days where I take myself away from everything else. And in that, I try and do several different retreat days. So I do a retreat day that I try and do like three to four times a year that is me just for a day away with the goal is to be with God and to kind of do a check on how am I doing. I then do once a year a few days away. Now, I go on weird retreats. That's what you've got to understand about me. You're going to learn that through today is that I'm a relatively unique individual, I tend to say. Uh, Others say very weird. And so for me, a retreat day can either be in a city or it can be in the country. And so for me, I also do once a year a perspective uh, giving retreat where this year I went for three days into the center of Birmingham and stayed on the nearly top floor of the rotunda. That's what I did, just to get up high, see everything. And in it, what those retreat days do is they just cause me, the perspective one is kind of about me just saying, okay, where are we going? What's going on? And then I have this pause one, which is just like, how am I doing? Like, where am I at, God? And it's that one that I want to take us through, but I'm going to use the name of the other one to confuse you all. And I want to give us like a moment, this session, next session, to pause, to bring perspective. There's no hidden agenda. There's no wrong or right answer. It's literally, I'm hoping, a moment for us just to come together, to encounter God, to sit with Jesus, and allow him to minister to each of us. That's what I'm hoping. And so I'll pass this round because I come prepared. Some stuff. Now in this, why am I doing this? Now, one is all that I'm going to look at is not rocket science. All of you are going to think, I could have done this. Like, why did he get to speak? Well, I don't know. I just did. And the goal is that you don't go away thinking, oh, that was a massive revelation. It was rather I could have done that. Because what I want you to do is go away thinking, I could have done that. Therefore, I will do it. And I'm hoping to give you a bit of framework, because often when I talk to people, they say, but what do you do when you pause? What do you do with that time? And so I want to just give a bit of a framework of what you do as you pause in order that we can use the time productively in order to allow God to do what God wants to do. So how I want to start, we've started already with amazing worship led and just getting that sense of just our hearts in gear with God. But I think often when we come to worship, rightly, because we're uh, good charismatics, is we come with that sense of, yes, we want to celebrate who you are, God. And we want to have this other ear out of what is it you want me to share? And I think sometimes it's that we just come and say, God, we just want you to be God. And therefore, I want us to start in that place. I'm going to start with Psalm 4610, where it just says, be still and know that I am God. There's a Benedictine um, practice where they use this phrase 
in order to get God more visible and us in our rightful place. And I just want us to do that for a moment. And how I'd ask us to do that is just to close our eyes. This isn't mystical. It's just a way of not getting distracted by other things and other people. That's it. And with our eyes closed, I'm just going to read through this practice. And what you'll find is I'll read through this verse and then break it down. And each time I'll stop and then there'll just be silence. And in that silence, I want us to contemplate what I often find is the last word that's been mentioned. And that's it. So I'm going to start with our eyes closed. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know.
be still. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we choose in this moment to be present, not moving away. We choose to be silent and to hear afresh that you, Father, Son, and Spirit, are God. That you keep the world spinning. We do not. You are powerful. You are the sustainer of all. You are the sustainer of us. In stillness, we recognize your presence with us and we welcome and receive all that you are and all that you have for us. Amen. How did it feel like just being silent? Uncomfortable? Did it feel long? It was a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's if funny, you, isn't it? If you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's great. Anyone else? Restful. Restful. Yeah, yeah. yeah Peace. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that. I think... For me, and we're going to come on to silence a bit later, but um, silence is uncomfortable because we're not used to being silent together. But it's an ancient practice. Like, I really loved lockdown because it taught us that we had to be silent. Like, we gathered as a church community and we couldn't sing. And therefore, it's not much fun watching someone else sing. And so we learned to say stuff together. We do liturgy and then we'd be silent. 
And there's something that you suddenly realize the uncomfortable starts to become comfortable because you realize, actually, God, in the silence, I realize some stuff about me. And it causes me to realize some stuff about you. Like I find often silence is the most noisy moment in my head. And I tend to try and drown it out all the time. But I think there's a gift in it. And what I also want to see is that it was literally a minute. And I did a minute silence. So what you're meant to do is three minutes. Three minutes, I tell you, it feels a long time. <laughs> but it's 15 minutes total it takes. Like how quickly we living our lives where it feels like 15 minutes of silence feels like a lifetime. I just think there's something in it. But in it that I want us to see that God is now with us. And in that moment of just coming and saying, we welcome you here, God, that God is wanting to meet with you and would meet with me. And I want us to use this passage, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, as kind of a launch pad through our time together where Jesus says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What we're going to discover is it's not going to be me just trying to be mystical and um, I haven't got a beard, so I can't be that mystical, and me talking at you. I, I hope we're going to see that through this time together, the more we put in, the more we'll get out. And there's going to be moments of just reflection individually, reflection together. And in that, in terms of this yoke, that I think is, we need to understand that Jesus recognizes each and every one of us come with stuff. We use the word burden, but it comes with stuff. We come with stuff to today. And the invitation in these 24 hours is to park the stuff. And it's what I call like it's a recognizing what you're pausing from and what God is wanting to pause to do. And so firstly, I want us to understand what are we pausing from? Because unless you recognize it, it will still keep ticking away in your head. You'll still be looking at your phone. You'll still kind of be wondering. And therefore, it's really important for us to understand, okay, over the next 24 hours, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be present to encounter you, God. And I want to pause from the stuff that I'm carrying normally. Like for me, in my circle, you'll have seen your notes, you've got a circle there. I'm going to get you to fill it in in a minute. But for me, it's family responsibilities and concerns. It's at the moment questions I've got in respect to my future. Um, will this be okay? Uh, it's my responsibilities within the church I lead of what do we do next? The building we're in, do we buy it? Do we long-term rent it? All of that stuff. Um, we've had a social action thing that we've been running for 20 years that is coming to an end. And that's on the back of my mind. We, how do we end that well? Um, the leadership shape that we have, how we continue to uh, develop and release lots of different people. Um, then within Catalyst, like what does connection look like? How is that real? Like for me, that, that's in the circle. That's the stuff that's going on. Now there's other things as well, but that's the main stuff. What about for you? Um, I'm old school. 
uh, you'd expect me to do everything on an iPad. I, I like pen and paper. And so if you've got a pen, this may be helpful. If you haven't, I've got a few with me. But I just encourage you, just for two or three minutes, just stick in that circle. What's the stuff that you are pausing from? And can I ask us to be as authentically us as possible? So don't put in all the stuff, you know, um, I don't know, I'm pausing from the rapid growth that we're having as a church. <laughs> Let's not do that. Let's like do the, the real stuff. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Do what we're meant to, isn't it? Be real with each other. So what I'd like us to do is get into twos or threes um, and share what we've put in a circle. Now at that point you're thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, that's okay. What I want to then do is push the vulnerability level a little because we can only ever lead people where we've been. And I find that unless I leave from a place of authenticity, of vulnerability, I can't expect that from anyone else. And so in it, as we then have spent time sharing what's in our circle, what we're pausing from, I then want us to ask two uncomfortable questions of each other. And that is, what in this circle at the moment, this is the easy one just to be up front. What in this circle at the moment do I need to just be entrusting more to Jesus? The harder one. What in this circle do I need to repent of? Because I've been holding on to it too tightly. And I've been seeing myself as my saviour, not Jesus. I always have things to repent of. <laughs> That's the reality. Whenever I do this, I get to that circle and I'm like, oh, no, I can't. Like, it's usually around my family, like I'm trying to be everyone's savior. And so I'm there, I'm, try, oh, you know, I'm trying to fix the kids, trying to make sure I'm able to be omnipresent and to, to my wife and and it's at these points, like, I just, Jesus, like, come on, like, do you really think you can do that? You can barely cope with your own life. And it's that, I'm like, oh, I just need, to, Jesus, I'm sorry. I give it back to you. What I love is that in this, this Matthew 11, where Jesus invites us to hand over, like, what we're burdened by, he doesn't leave us empty-handed. He then says, because I want to give you a burden that is light. And therefore, I think when we come and we pause, as I said, it's not only that we're coming and pausing from something, which is what we've been talking about. And my guess is that you're all like, man, I was, I was just still wanting to talk a bit more about that. Yeah, good, because you've got time to do that. And some of it, like what we're needing to entrusting, isn't just in this moment. It's going to be throughout the rest of today and tomorrow. That as we'll drive back to varying places, it'll be, God, I, I'm now entrusting this to you. For some of us, it'll be, actually, I need, to, I need to just make myself accountable in terms of not trying to do this all by myself, this stuff that I'm repenting of. I want others to help me in this. Or maybe it's like a continual thing that we're saying, actually, I just need to make a note. Am I picking up the stuff I'm not meant to be? But it's not just that we pause from, it's also that we pause to. We pause to say, well, God, what is it that you're wanting to speak to me? What? 
I love the fact that it's a burden. Like, what, what is it you're wanting to do in me over this next 24 hours? And I believe God wants to use this time with you. And I know that he's, I'm not here for the whole time, but I've already felt like God say, this is what I'm wanting to do in this moment with you, which I, I think is good. So maybe it's just for me, um, but I'm hoping it's for you too. And in a moment, we've got another circle. You don't need to fill in the whole circle. It's just because of how my brain works. It helps me to think, okay, what is it that's in there? Don't, don't think about anything else. It may be just one thing. And maybe for you, I don't know, maybe it's going to be that God just says, I just want you to stop. Maybe that's what God wants to do. I don't know what it is. He does. And I want us to pray. I just want to pray for us. And then we're going to be silent and see what we feel like God says. It's not a pressured thing. Um, and there'll be different things. And we'll then put that in that circle. And then I'll take us through from that, one, that point. But I wonder if just where we are, just if you want to close your eyes, just put your hands out. I find just the physical expressions sometimes are so helpful. And in this moment, I want us to imagine that in our hands is everything that we've just paused from. And that as we've just spoken it out to others, we're now just saying, Jesus, here it is. And now having handed that to Jesus, and then also just to pray and say, Jesus, what is it you want me to receive? What do you want to do in me in this moment? Not in the person next door to me, not in my household that I live with, the church I'm part of, whatever it is. Like, what is it you want to do in me in this moment as I receive it now? I just encourage you just in this place as you feel like that little whisper for some of us it will feel very clear for others it will feel like an impression just as you feel like I think this is what God wants to do in this moment just, just jot it down what I want us to do now is I just want us to share it with just the person next to us and I want us to pray for each other now if you're there and you think I've got nothing on my bit of paper it's all right it's not, it's, not like, it's not like this proves God loves you or not. No, that's been done. It isn't that. Like maybe it's just like in this moment it's not clear. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it is that there isn't something. And that's the thing <laughs> for you not to have a thing. Um, and that isn't me spinning it. That's me just saying let's not make this bigger than it needs to be. But can I encourage us just to pray for each other in this that God would use this moment either to bring into life the thing that we've got on a bit of paper or that he'd just use it to do what he's going to do. If it's no agenda, man, that's good. Like 24 hours, no agenda. I love that. <laughs> Should we turn and pray for each other? Be good. So we've paused. We've paused from. We've paused to. The last thing I'd like us to do is just what I call a reality check of just, okay, then 
Like how, where, how are we, how are we? Uh, I heard recently of um, someone going on a retreat and they were just with lots of strangers and they said they're in the room, there's like 10 of them and um, they're asked to introduce uh, themselves to everyone else and kind of this person was sat in the room like thinking through how do, how do I, like, what do I say about my life and um, the first person like starts and introduces themselves, starts to tell about their family, what they do as a job and the person just stops and says, no, no, I'm not interested in that. I want you to introduce yourself as to how you are arriving in the whole of yourself. And then they said from one person off the other, just said, I am arriving very tired. (laughs) And I think it's just good to have that reality check of like, where am I at at this moment? And I don't know how much you check in. This isn't a kind of new agey type thing. It's just a thing of like God created us in our whole selves. Uh, And I often talk about in five areas, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and relationally. And it's saying within the whole of that, if Jesus has come to bring life to us, that's life in its fullness in all of those areas. Therefore, at any given moment, it's like, how am I doing in those areas? And how either full or empty am I? And I think it's just good to do that because it gets us from that pause moment. It's like, oh, this is the reality then. And it isn't that we've all got to be super high or super low. It's just we're at where we're at. Often you find one thing interconnects with another. I could do a whole day just on these five dials, but I'm not going to do that because we've got five minutes. And so in it, I think we probably know what I mean. I've put some little questions I tend to ask in terms of physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. I do use the word mental. I've gone around this one because people are like, why don't you say psychological? Because it's far nicer. I like to talk about mental health because every single person in this room has a mental health. The danger is we only ever talk about mental health when it becomes something that is an issue or a problem. Whereas actually, as soon as you talk and say, all of us have got mental health, it removes the stigma. And it's so important because I can promise you this, the more and more I talk about mental health and the more and more I tell stories of challenges within mental health of friends and close family members have had I always have someone who comes up to me and says this is the first time in a Christian community I've heard someone talk about this I've always felt such shame and I just think man that's not why Jesus came so that's why the mental health one's there anyway five dials the dial is just like if you drive a car it's like that it's either empty or it's full. And what I'd like you to do is just signal where you think you're at. Now, some of you would be like, I'm not sure. Like, emotionally, like, what does that look like? That's great. I like that question. And I can recommend a great book that will help you, uh, which is Emotional Healthy Spirituality, which if you've not read it, man, like, you've probably got a book budget. Like, just use it and Buy a book, it'll do you good. And it'll also do your whole church good. So there you go, emotional, healthy, spirituality. But in that, we are emotional beings. And therefore, it is how aware are we of the emotions we're feeling and how aware are we of giving voice to those to God. Um, So there you go. A few minutes. To kind of bring us in then to a moment to drink and to eat um, is Psalm 23 then, I think, always... It's just a phenomenal psalm, isn't it? As you can see why it's so everyone's favourite, the shepherd. Uh, but Psalm 23, 1 to 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's what this is about. Like wherever we're at, the reality we're in, Jesus is the amazing shepherd who just comes amongst us and is seeking to renew and restore. And we'll get some time to pray at the end of the next session. But at this time, I just want us to live with that place. We've paused. We've put some stuff in a circle and said, okay, I'm pausing from that. We've then taken and said, why am I pausing too? What God are you wanting to do in me? And I'm coming from this place of reality. My guess is no one's dial is full. If it is, please come and speak to me because I really want to learn from you. Um, And if we come from that place of reality, knowing that Jesus is this one who's longing to come and meet us in that place, rather than the place where we think we should be, he comes to the place where we are and then restores us from that place. But we're done for this moment. Let's get tea, coffee, caffeine in our systems. Hope everyone is feeling caffeinated up, um, ready for another session. Um, this one is going to be a bit just front-loaded with me, um, and then there'll be a bit more time of interaction after that with each other, and we'll get at the end to pray for one another, I'm hoping, and see what God wants to do. Uh, so that's, that's where we're going. In terms of where we've got to then, we've paused. Remember, my point of this isn't that... We go away thinking, oh, that was instructive. It's rather that we go away and think, oh, I could do that. Who could I do this with? I'm going to do it by myself, but who else could I do it with? That's the point. It's not any of this. If it's helpful, please use it. So we pause. We work out what am I pausing from? What am I pausing to? We've done that reality check. I don't know if you noticed. Do you see how, how long it took us to get to that point? Like, if I'm honest, like when I'm by myself, it usually takes me about an hour and a half just to do that to pause properly, to then think to this point, which is where we've got to now, it's the center and say, okay, how can I live Jesus with you more at the core of who I am, shaping who I am? This is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 28, 30, let's read it again. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I think often I get to that point when I read this is think it's Jesus offering rest, offering that shepherding restoration. And yet in it, Jesus says, no, I want to teach you, teach you how to live. Like I want to place a yoke on you and I want to teach you how to live with that yoke. And that yoke is one that means that we are deeply connected to Jesus. And that Jesus, therefore, in connected to us, wants to shape us in how we live and wants to teach us in how we live. I think that Jesus is very gracious to you and I because it feels like that yoke isn't very firm. It feels like it's like a bungee rope where I often feel like I then go and live life how I believe Jesus wants me to. And that generally is my way. Uh, as I often think that obviously that was the ordained way is the Adrian Hurst model of living life. And so I'll run ahead 
thinking, this is it, this is how it's got to be. And Jesus patiently waits for me to ping back and then say, come on, let's do it how I created it to be. And I guess my invitation, I wonder what, whether something of what's come out of the pandemic is that we've come to realize maybe there's a different way we're meant to live life. Maybe there's a different way we're meant to model to those that are around us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I love what John Marcoma writes. I don't know if you've read his book, um, The Elimination of Hurry. Again, if you haven't, recommend. Um, but in it, he just says that actually the, the invitation, therefore, is to live our lives as though Jesus is living it. I think we used to have those bands, you know, what would Jesus do? I think that just makes it a bit less than what it really is. It's actually, no, Jesus wants to show you how he's designed your life to be lived, my life to be lived. And then I therefore want us just to center in then and say, well, then, if Jesus has got a way he wants you and I to live our lives, like, surely he's modeled that for us. And when you read the gospel accounts, I think you begin to see that Jesus lived in a way that I think is meant to shape how we live. And what I've done is like drawn through both through things I've read, but mainly through what I've read through the gospels is say, okay, it seems like there's these six things. Now, because of how my brain works, I then tend to think, I wonder if I could get them all to be start with the same letter. Um, and so I've got six S's that I want us just to briefly look at. Now, at that point, as soon as you say six things, you think, man, is this guy going to go on for an hour now? No, I'm not going to do that. That these six things that I think as we look at, we see modeled in Jesus and that I believe Jesus wants us to then see worked into our lives in order that we can model it to others. As Jesus has lived in an incredibly attractive way. And I just wonder whether sometimes in the West, whether we're meant to be living in a way that actually is salt and light to others by just literally the way we do life. I think it's sad for me that like the the whole aspect of well-being came from outside of the church rather than inside the church. I think, man, we should have been the leaders on this. Uh, And I wonder whether this moment where last year where people discovered there was a power in just not filling your diaries, of realizing what is it that's truly important As everyone springs back to say, I just want my life to be full, we get to model something different. So here you go, six things, six S's. First one is sustained. Jesus lived as one who was continuously sustained by the Father and the Spirit. And I believe the invitation is for us to do the same. If you to look at John 15, most of these, we're not going to look in detail at passages because of time, but I encourage you out of this, just spend time in John 15. You find that the invitation then to be a follower of Jesus is one to be sustained, to be dwelling, to be abiding in who Jesus is. And that actually life only works if we're being sustained by him. Now, all of us in this room are like, yeah, yeah, tell me something I don't know. And yet my question is, but do we live that way? See, if you look at John 15, what you discover is probably about 70% of it is about being with Jesus And about 30% is about what we do for Jesus. And yet we tend to, I think, reverse those percentages and say, no, look what I'm doing rather than what I'm being. And I think the invitation is like, are we those being shaped by the being? Because it's out of the being with Jesus, everything else flows. 
And so for me, what that looks like is that in the being, I get to live knowing that I have nothing to prove. That's like a fundamentally different way to live. Everything about how we've set up society is you have everything to prove. And if we're not careful, we begin to live with that in the church, in our lives. And actually, the invitation is, no, no, we get, we've got liberated that we get to live from a place that we've got nothing to prove. The question is, do we? Like, do I? So three weeks ago, when I had one of my kind of pause days, circles, what is it? The thing I felt God speaks to me about is, you're living like you have something to prove. I was like, no, I'm not. And as I prayed about that, I just realized that I'd just become really defensive. Like as we've started to gather back together, you know, everyone was like, oh, we so miss gathering. You know, it's just amazing. Can't wait to be all back in the room. And then within a month, everyone's like coming with their thing because the echo chamber they've been living with for the last six months has become deafening. And so they need to tell you their thing. And I was like, what? And so I became very defensive. Oh, well, you know, I know you're thinking that, but what about this? And as I prayed about it, I just thought, no, it's from that place of I'm trying to prove something. And as I felt God get me, I had to repent. It's then that place of, okay, if I'm living from this place, I've got nothing to prove. I don't need to be defensive. I just need to listen. And then as I spent time just listening, you then got to the real stuff. Like the, the, the starter of the conversation wasn't what really was going on. But I never got to the real stuff because I was being defensive. Sustained, first one. Second one, slowing down. Luke 10, 38, 42, story of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. Even the fact that he's in the house is just mind-blowing. Like, he should have been going somewhere else, and yet he makes time to have a meal with some friends. And obviously, loads you can pull out from that story. I think Jesus is one who was never rushing. Like, we live in a culture where the badge of honor is how full your life is and how often you can say, I'm just really busy at the moment. Like, the thing that I breaks my heart more than anything is when people come up to me and say, I'd love to get some time with you, but I know that you'll be really busy. I'm like, wow, where's that come from? And yet Jesus, no one seemed to come up to him and say, I think you're a bit busy. It's like everyone was like, just come around here. Remember, this is three years he had to like get to do what he's got to do. I don't have three years. And yet I seem to rush around doing lots of things. And yet Jesus just seemed to live slowly. And in it, he then pushes in that example of Mary and Martha of like how actually it's like looking and seeing in the moment. And I think both through the life of Jesus, we could look more in the story. I haven't got time to do that today. But I'd say is seeing that it played out in terms of slowing down is about being unhurried and being present. Unhurried means that you aren't looking to the next thing. Unhurried means that I have to build margins into my life in order that I'm not rushing from the next thing from one thing to the next so like yesterday it means that I knew that we were doing something new in the morning and so we were kind of opening up the building to just hang out with people for two hours um, 
And that needs to be unhurried. I knew that in that moment, I just needed to spend time with people and give extended periods of time. And then I thought, I knew I was meeting someone else. Now, old Adrian would have been right. That finishes at 11.30. 11.30, meet the next person. Whereas I thought, no, because that doesn't allow for what if it doesn't finish at 11.30? And so I meet the person at 12. And sure enough, at quarter to 12, everyone leaves. But they leave not feeling like they were kicked out. We have to live with some boundaries, some margins in our life in order that we can be unhurried. Second thing in terms of being present. What I love about Jesus is that he was present in the moment. Like with, with Mary, she just wanted to sit with him because he was there and she was with him. And it's like, are we, are we present in the moments that we're with people? Or are we thinking about the next thing? Or are we allowing like the device that we have that is phenomenal? You know, 20 years ago, someone said, you can have this device that connects you to anyone anywhere in the world that you can see them through it and you can find out everything and pay for things through it and take photos. You'd be like, what? That's surely something of the ultimate future. And yet we're there. It is an amazing device, but it can distract us from being present. Jesus was always present with the people, present so much so that when a lady just touches him with crowds around, he's present knowing that she's there, doesn't want her to go away, wants her to leave not only healed but not riddled with shame. I think, are we those that are slowing down, those that are present? Thirdly, silence and solitude. If you look at Mark 1, you find this life of Jesus, which is just full. Like the stuff that he does in Mark 1, it's just crazy. Like the day in the life of Jesus where he's just like healing people, speaking to people, delivering people. You know, what is going on? And he was okay in the crowds. And yet there comes a moment at the end of it where it just says he goes and was quiet, went to a place of silence and solitude. Later on in his life, you're going to find that Jesus um, continuously seems to yo-yo in and out of the city. He's like in the city and then goes out to the place of silence and solitude. That Jesus, when he's talking to us in Matthew 6, 6 about prayer, he says like, go and what? Shut yourself away. There's something about silence and solitude that needs to be a rhythm of our lives just as it was for Jesus that we have to make time for it. Silence and solitude does not happen um, accidentally. Like we all live with loads of noise around. And yet there's something that is restorative, that is deeply connecting to God, that happens as we take ourselves away and face silence and solitude. Now, as I said earlier on, like I'm someone who really didn't used to like silence. I remember going to the cinema and the cinema chain I went to, they used to have, I don't know how they'd done it, but they'd trademarked silence is golden. And every time I went to see a film there, I'd see this trademark silence is golden. And I, and every time I saw it, it drove me bananas. And I thought, it's not, it's awful. Like, why would anyone want silence? Like I'd filled my life with noise. Like if I was in a car, listening to radio, I went to sleep listening to Radio 4. I'd listen to music. I'd listen to uh, talks. 
everything, watch TV. I had noise always. If I was walking places, I was either listening to music or phoning people. And then I thought, but what if silence is golden? What if I'm missing out? Maybe they've got hold of something. And so I just spent some time doing this, like looking at silence in the Bible and realizing that, as I said before, like why I found silence so awful is because in my head it got so noisy. It's because suddenly all the other distractions weren't there. It caused me to face what was truly inside of me. Of like the thoughts that were going on, the fears, the concerns. And that as I learned to dwell and face those things, it caused me to realize, actually, no, silence is golden. I remember the bravest thing I think I've ever done is, like, I love talking to people. Um, you've got to know that about me. Like, my kids, like, find it an absolute nightmare. Like, they just, when they were really young, they used to think I was friends with everyone. Now they're just irritated by it, saying, can you not speak to people, please? <laughs> um, but I went for a retreat at a Quaker center near me, which I love going to. Um, and there you can either do, like, a retreat by yourself, and you get to meet people or you can ask as you walk in and have a badge that says quiet. Now, Quakers know how to be quiet. I can promise you that. And if you get that, no one speaks to you. And I remember thinking, man, am I brave enough to do that? And so I, so I did I did a day and I thought, right, I'm going to put a sign on that basically means I'm like a leper. Like, no one come near me. <laughs> and, and it was painful. I, I found it so hard to kind of feel like, am I going to be okay with this? At the end of it, I realized more things about how I could connect with God and how close and present he was, how I wasn't listening on some things, as well as understanding some more things about myself. Now, it isn't I've given myself to always being quiet because that isn't how I'm wired, but I've learned that there's something deeply, deeply restorative in it. So silence and solitude, fourth thing, simplicity. You see this both in terms of the way Jesus lived Uh, but also how he instructed us to go in terms of how we hold on to things in this earth. I think that simplicity is an incredibly hard thing to live with and be shaped by in Western culture. What's fascinating, again, is um, within Western culture, there is a movement against consumerism that is not being led by the church, is being led by the minimalists. And so minimalists will give you a whole way to live, which if you look at the baseline of it, you think, actually, it's just saying these things will not give you meaning, but it doesn't actually answer really what will. And so their, their thing would be use things, not people. And I think in it, what we, we get to actually say is, yeah, that stuff will never give you meaning, but Jesus really does. And I wonder if we get to offer something that is better than what the world is offering in this. And in it, I think there's a simplicity that we get to try and live with individually, and that's very hard in the culture we're in. Uh, And I think increasingly it's something we get to model. You know, I was just talking to someone earlier, just in the whole, you know, I recognize climate change, all of us are going to be in different uh, camps on that. I don't want to get into that. I think it's beautiful that we are in different camps because it means we get to learn to live and listen with one another. But one of the things I heard of recently is in the US, if everyone for one year didn't do an automatic upgrade of their iPhone, 
it would have the same impact as 600,000 cars being taken off the road in terms of CO2 emissions. And you just think, man, that's crazy. That's just like living simpler. Like, who does need a brand new mobile phone? I don't think we do. Is it? But it's like that that we get to model. So it's individually how we seek to live. I also think it's together as church. I wonder if the last 20 months have shown us that actually church is a lot simpler than we've made it. That how we gather what we do doesn't have to be as complicated. And the danger in this moment is all of the desire is everything to spring back as to how it was. And I wonder if some of the invitation by Jesus, no, no, come on, yoke to me, let me teach you. Maybe this is going to be a bit simpler than we've made it. Okay, fifth thing, only two to go. Sharing. There's no Bible verse for this one. Um, That's because it's all through there. This is about how Jesus lived his life with others. And in it, you find that Jesus lived sharing either of himself or with others himself so of or with what do i mean by that of is like the giving of himself to others for their benefit with is sharing himself in relationship that aided and strengthened him that was supremely shown with the father but was also at multiple moments shown with the disciples probably like the bleakest moment is in the garden of gethsemane where jesus is appealing to them saying will you stand with me and they fall asleep Because there was that need in the sharing. And I think for each of us, we too have that need to be and call to be sharing of ourselves with others, but sharing with others of ourselves. Sharing with in terms of relationship. I don't know if that's coming across what I'm trying to say there. But the danger is if we only do the sharing of ourselves, we'll end up drained. If we only ever do the sharing with others, where we're building a relationship that does us and them good, we'll end up as a clique. And therefore, there has to be a balance of both. Now, from my experience, um, most people involved in church life, particularly in leadership, are really good at sharing of themselves. And generally share of themselves to a point where they end up burnt out or close to it. And either that doesn't ever get spoken of or is kind of seen as a bit of a badge of honor, uh, which is a bit weird. Um, the with of having people that we are in relationship with that actually know us and can strengthen us, we're not always as good at. But it's actually the balance is that we need both. And I know for me, I've kind of had to spend time thinking, how do I build then those relationships with that are causing me to benefit from it? as well as others. And I've had to therefore look and say, right, all my primary needs cannot be met in my wife because that's not fair. That's a high stake I'm putting on there in that relationship. And she would say, I can't do that. She'd be like, you need some other friends. And so I've had to build friends, which means that I have to choose to be vulnerable. I have to choose to say, hey, this is the stuff going on with me. Can you help me? And so I've spent time, yes, primary of wife, but secondly, in terms of with others I'm building friendships with, that isn't just about me giving, but it's about me receiving. And the third thing for me has actually been someone uh, who helps me professionally 
And so I've seen a counsellor. And so I've seen a counsellor every week for a period of time, just because I needed to get some help dealing with some stuff. Uh, And it was far easier to do that with someone I pay to listen to me and to help me professionally. And now I see them once a month. And I do it once a month, not because I've got lots of stuff going on in my head, but just to make sure that I'm living all right. It's a very, very easy relationship with me. Of one where I just think, okay, I see this person, I check in, and then make sure that I'm living in a way that is healthy. And ask me some questions uh, that help me know I can talk about that stuff and leave knowing that I have no responsibility for what they do with it. Or whether I've put weight on them, because I think, man, they're doing it as their job. It's like a beautiful relationship with me, for me. And I wonder for some of us, and why I talk about the counselling thing, hopefully you've picked out by me, I only tell stories for a reason, is because there's a stigma, stigma with counselling, that you go when you've got something big going on. I think it's that. I think you go because you find someone who's a professional, who's been trained to do what they do, to help you understand what's going on in order that you can be liberated more. And so for sometimes it's like a period of time is really good to see a counsellor. Just as you wouldn't come to me if you needed to see your GP. Because your GP has trained a long time to be able to diagnose what is wrong with you and physically help you. A counsellor has trained for a long time and is held to account in how they practice. And so I go to see them. And so it helped me in terms of significant moments, but also it helped me in terms of just staying healthy. Uh, so I put that out there to counsel. Sixth thing, my favourite thing is Sabbath. Matthew 12, 8, Mark 2, 27. A.J. Swoboda, in my favourite book on Sabbath, I've read loads of books on Sabbath, uh, which is called Subversive Sabbath, says this. It's a celebration, a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. Jesus is king of the Sabbath, and yet he practiced it. I think for a number of years, I lived with, oh, Jesus is the king of Sabbath, and therefore he invites us to a whole life shaped by Sabbath. Therefore, a day of rest. That was some old school thing where people used to just say on Sunday, you can't have shops open and um, you can't do anything fun. That was the point of it. And we're past that. We're like new church. We do things cool and amazing. And we've got the king of rest. So we just live continuously from a place of rest. Um, as I looked more and more into it, I realized that I'd really got that wrong. I had to apologize to our church because I'd like preached on like, we, we live from the place of rest. Um, that's what it means. And realizing, yes, we do live from a place of rest, but we are invited to live with a rhythm of rest. A God-given rhythm that says one day a week, rest, stop what you're doing in order to enjoy what is being created, celebrate in the one who has created it and invite others to join in to do the same. And you can look at lots of material around it, but I'd invite you to enter into it because it causes people to see it modelled. And we don't live in a society that knows how to rest. And I think it's, again, a simple thing we can do that profoundly changes 
uh, people's lives. I think one of my other favorite books I read is Walter Brueggemann uh, in his book, Sabbath as Resistance. And he says that in terms of the Ten Commandments, he says, if I break nine of them, I'm out of a job. But if one of them I break in terms of taking the Sabbath, I'm commended for my hard work. And I just thought, wow, like, how have we got to this place? Um, because I think we're going to model something different. And I think Jesus did. And I think we get to be invited into it. Now, in that one, I'd, I'm kind of speeding through. Normally, I, as a Sabbath, I could speak on for a long, long time. And there are lots of things that we could look at. At this moment, I'm just trying to make it really simple. Go and do your own research. But I think the invitation is for one day a week to stop because if nothing else it does as good in remembering that we don't keep the world spinning god does and i think we take ourselves too seriously i think we think man if i don't do this uh it's all going to go to pot the reality is this like we're on the planet for not a very long time and god did a pretty good job before any of us arrived and he'll do a pretty good job once we're all gone. So he's okay. He's got it covered for a day a week. But the invitation is for us just to remember and get perspective on who he is, who we are, and enjoy the whole of creation. The other thing I'd say in terms of Sabbath is you can't do it by mistake. You can never think, I know I take tomorrow off. You need to plan for it. To plan to have a day off a week means that you have to think through the rest of the week how you're going to get to that point and then flow everything out of it. And so for me and my family, our Sabbath starts Friday night through to Saturday evening, um, just because Sunday for me isn't a restful day. Uh, we then ensure that all of our house stuff is done. So I actually, within the beauty of what I do, I'm employed by a church, I get two days off, a Friday and a Saturday. And on the Friday, I spend the day working, working at doing all the stuff that needs to be done in our home. In order that then in the evening I stop and we as a family stop and we're able to enjoy each other's company, enjoy what's going on in creation, enjoy who God is and enjoy who other people are. And we invite other people to come and enjoy with us and we eat and we rest. My encouragement for you is like, what are you doing? Do you do that? So there we go. Six S's. And in it, it's not there to say, like, we must try better. It's there as an invitation of, like, this is how I believe Jesus wants us to live. And the reality is some of these will be like, man, high five me. I'm not doing amazing on this. I need to share what I do. Others of them will be like, oh, that's, that's just not where I'm at. And it's not to condemn us. It's rather to be convicted in order that we say, actually, Jesus, I want to enter more the life that you've got for me. Therefore, enough of me speaking. I'd like us to get into groups of three or four and in those, ask those three questions in terms of first one, just share what do you think is your strongest area? That's not an arrogance. It's not arrogance. Please don't hear that. It's just saying, I think, I think this is all right. I think we're going to learn together and this is what helps me do this. So what's my strongest area and why in order that others can learn? Then the second one is, what is your weakest area and why? That's a harder question, isn't it? Like none of us like that one. Like what's your weakest area in these? 
And then last question is, which area would you like to grow in? That's the thing. So is that right? Any questions before we go into that? Anything you want to say? What did you mean by that? Or I totally, if you actually, let's not do it. I totally disagree because that probably won't help us at this moment. But any questions in terms of uh, anything you've heard? Okay. Sorry. Um, talking about your counselling. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it really important, not just that it's professional that can take your stuff and deal with it, but also that it's away from your That's good. personal space as well? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes, that's a really good observation. And I'd say yes. I think there's... It's, it's multiple levels. So I do talk to people, actually, within my friendship, accountability of things I'm talking about in counselling. But some of it is that it's away from my work situation. And, it's a, and li- like physically, it's away. So I can like think, okay, this, I've gone and talked about that. It's left there. That's the place I'm dealing with that. And also, it's um, just because how I'm wired, it's really helpful to know this there's no complication in this relationship this is this is this is relationship is about this and not about that now the other thing is which some of you at this point like what is my counselor isn't a christian um and we've talked a lot about that he knows how much jesus means to me in actual fact he'll talk now and he'll say I know, Adrian, that because of how you live and how important God is to you and what that looks like in terms of life of Jesus, I know you need to do this. Which is amazing. So you have like, a, I'm able to then bring Jesus to this guy who's helping me with just my life. But yeah, I think the, it being out of my situation is so helpful. That's a great question. Yeah, go, Jim. Yeah. 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 Yep. I do. So I think it's working through um, because Sabbath doesn't necessarily mean you're not doing anything. It's a change from what you'd ordinarily do, and so I think. Sabbath, if it is a Sunday where you're doing activities around church, is like just watching and saying, is this getting to a point of becoming more about a work and a do than enabling me to be? And I think there's within it, uh, what I'd ha- I wouldn't want anyone to go away thinking, all right, it's perfect for you because on your Saturday, all you do is just sit in a chair all day. That's not what happens on that day. Uh, there's varying different things that go on. You know, part of it is taking my son to drums, which he'd find deeply uh, life-giving. I drive him there and back and sit in Birmingham Conservatory for two hours, uh, do, do things that will do me good in there. I think in terms of where you're not employed, I think is seeing that whatever day you're choosing, because it's finding a day that's going to work, has elements that are celebrating who God is, celebrating creation and being recreative if you're spending your sabbath and you get to the end of it thinking man this feels exactly like all the other days 
I'd say stand, and this will make me unpopular, I'd be like, well, takes away some of the responsibility you're carrying because that's not going to be how it is. Um, that, that's helpful. Great questions. Any others? That's... I, I always do that, don't I? I have Peter Scorsese, I think. There you go. The, uh, emotional health spirituality, that's, is with a name that I can ever pronounce. Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swoboda is, is, I've read about eight books on Sabbath. This is the best one. Uh, I think A.J. Swoboda, it's just, I really like it. He's got a current book that's on uh, deconstruction, which again, if you're in leadership in church, you should definitely be reading because I think it's the next phase of what we're about to face. Uh, my favorite quote of A.J. Swoboda, this is just me, just now, is he talks about um, how within evangelicalism, we... Ten, he he actually really likes Catholicism because in Catholicism they wait till someone's dead to saint them, uh, whereas we don't do that, and we do saint people. And the problem is when you saint people before they're dead is sometimes other stuff emerges which we think, <laughs> oh no, and hasn't the last twelve months shown that? Uh, and then yeah, John Marcoma, the elimination, ruthless elimination of hurry. Uh, my other book that I'd be on there, which I reckon everyone. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I think numbers of us would have read uh, is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I think, keep going back to it. All of these guys, they just found themselves on that book. I got someone um, who I'm discipling a couple of years ago. I said, look, just read this. And they read it and they went, oh, I don't know why you got me to read that. He said, it's weird. Uh, and there are bits of it weird. Now he's reading... John Marcoma, Flavor of the Month, and others. And he said, I get it, I'm having to reread it because all they're doing is quoting what he said. Um, and so I think there's nothing new under the sun. It is good. Um, any other questions? Great. I love questions. Just This is us learning together, and this is what we're about to do now. It isn't like, because I get to sit on the stool. I'm not like some font of knowledge. It's like, we're all in this, aren't we? We're all just trying to say, what does it mean to live more like Jesus? Because that's the goal, isn't it? That we become more like him until one day we see him face to face. And that was so good. I love how um, Dallas Willard died. I don't know if you've ever read about how he died, but he... Um, when he died, he died of pancreatic cancer. That's a pretty awful cancer to die from. Um, and when he got to the point, two days before he died, he said, I wonder at which point I'll realize I'm dead. And then as he took his last breaths, he just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And when I read that, I just thought, that's it. Know you, Jesus. Keep knowing you. Keep being shaped by you. Until at some point I realize, I wonder at which point I will realize I'm dead. That's pretty cool. So what we've done is we paused. We uh, have centered. And in that centering, I've kind of shared with you... uh, Kind of how I kind of read something. So we're using this passage from Matthew 11, Jesus' invitation to know his yoke, to know him teaching us. 
and me sharing, saying, actually, I think this is something of how we see Jesus lived, and maybe that's how we should live. Um, and some of it you'll think, oh, yeah, I think that's good. Hopefully most of it you're thinking it's good. Some of it you may think, oh, I'm not so sure. Go away and think about it. Um, I think whatever I'd be encouraging you saying, well, what if, if we are, which we are, yoked to Jesus, and he is looking actively to teach us how he longs to lead us in the life that we're living, then surely that's worth spending time considering, are we living that way? And so in the centering, it may be you come back to this and say, okay, these things are helpful. Great if they are. And therefore you want to spend time at other points saying, okay, how am I doing in terms of this? It may be you just look at something different and you say, actually, in this centering moment, I just want to look, Jesus, how do I feel like you would be living my life? What areas um, need to therefore change in me? Or sometimes I might just do this in terms of centering is I'm not going to use this Matthew 11 passage. I just use a different passage. I might use a psalm. And then just look at it or before I did John 15 and just said, okay, I want to center in the fact that I'm called to abide in you, Jesus. And I'm just going to slowly work through John 15. I've spent six months in John 12 to John 17. Uh, Profoundly changes you. And in John 15, as I said, you just, as you read it through slowly and just keep digesting it and saying, okay, what is it, God, that you're sh- calling me to be? What is it you're calling me to do? And what's the comfort you're wanting to bring? And so it's different ways that we can use to kind of that center in of Jesus, I want you on the throne, not me. That's all that's about. So we've paused, center, continue. Just the last part, continue. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, which is the passage I'm kind of, kind of getting us to sit with, is then Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. I think as we've been invited to live in this place of pause, to then center it, it's in order that we then emerge continuing from that place of rest and rest in the deepest possible way, the rest for our souls. Um, and I often think that in that place, as I continue, it's that I then need to be proactive of how is my life going to shape from this point? Uh, I was talking to uh, Paul Johnson or PJ from the King's Arms, uh, who, if you're kind of thinking counsellor, like he's a Christian and a counsellor, and he really loves speaking to people who are involved in church leadership. No brainer. If you're looking for one, he's really good. I recommend. I don't get any commission. I think he's really good. Please also don't be a stumbling block of aging women for a non-Christian counsellor. What is he on? There's other reasons why that happened. Um, but if you if you want a counsellor, I think Paul Johnson, brilliant, recommend. But in it, in terms of that, continue. He said, like this is the key part. Like how do you emerge from this place, knowing what you've paused from, knowing this is invitation. Uh, to pause to know is then what how does your life look different as a result and for me there's then in that moment as I'm thinking how's my life going to look different from this moment is I'm thinking there's going to be shifts I need to make support I will need and stuff I need to leave behind and so I think through, okay, what are the shifts that I need to make moving forward from this point? As I said, you know, I told the story, you know, I'd become defensive, nothing to prove. The shift I needed to make, I need to listen more and not react. 
and then brought a high level of accountability through using it as a preach illustration on Sunday to say, hey, everyone, this is where I'd got to. God convicted me. Um, and then that kind of means that you're accountable to whoever's listened. Um, but there's that shift that you need to, that I need to make. Then in terms of the support, it's then thinking, okay, who around me is going to help me? Like, what's the support I need? Like, as I've said, I, like there was a moment where I suddenly thought, I've got to a point, I'd gone through a lot of trauma. I'd dealt with a lot of suffering personally and with others. I'd led the church through uh, one death. I'd seen three deaths in 18 months in my family. There was a point where you just crack and you're like, I don't know if I've got what I need inside to deal with this. And so I need some support to help me process what's been. And so it's like, okay, what's the support I need? And sometimes it is professional. Sometimes it's my friends. Uh, sometimes it's someone who I'm not as friends with or I don't really know. I just make contact. I think, I think I just need to talk to that person. I think they're going to help me. And I'll drop a text or a call and say, I wonder if I could just chat with you for five minutes. That gets you anywhere, just as a quick aside. Always just say, I wonder if I could just chat with you for five minutes. An hour you get easily on a, can I just chat with you for five minutes? Um, so the support, and then lastly, the stuff. that It's the, remember the circle, the stuff that was in there at the beginning, the stuff we're pausing from. It's like sometimes thinking like, I wonder if some of that stuff I'm not going to pick up again. I wonder if there's some stuff we're going to just walk a bit lighter with and just say, actually, I'm not going to carry the weight of that or that situation. I'm, I'm going to leave that behind. And so for me, you know, when I go away to retreat, I'm often like depositing stuff like, OK, that's, that's done. That's there. As I get in my car, it's back where I've been. So this moment, I just want to get to, I do want us to get to the point of praying, but I just felt like it'd be helpful individually just to reflect. And it may be this develops over tomorrow as well, but just to consider like, what will I be doing differently? What support do I need? Where do I need to know God's comfort? And what will, should be I, what will I be leaving behind? And just consider that. Can I say in terms of God's comfort, um, God is the father of all comfort. Like, how good's that? And therefore, I rush to meet with him uh, and spend time just allowing him to comfort me. And if you're involved in caring for people, you'll need comfort. Because if you don't, you've probably not taken on what they're living with, which means they're always a bit distant from you. Whereas if they're close, you're always going to need comfort. And we've got a father who's longing to comfort us. So I think it's just good to be real. So yeah, that's what I need. So anyway, four questions, just briefly answer, and then we'll get some time uh, to pray together. Is that right? Okay. Um, I hope that it's kind of proved somewhat helpful uh, in terms of doing this. Uh, I don't know what you're expecting. I don't know why I was expecting. I just thought this would be fun to do together. Um, in it, maybe you're thinking, like, I could have done that. Like, I could have just led through that. 
amazing. Like, that's the point. Like, any one of us could have done this. It's really simple, isn't it? You pause, then spend some time centering, and then you continue. Like, it's not complicated. I wonder if, like, the invitation then is, let's not make it complicated. Let's be kind to ourselves, and let's build in some time where we do this. And I wonder how we might look if we regularly do this. I wonder how, more, how lightly we'll travel as we do this. I wonder how it will shape the churches we're part of differently as we do this. Now, one of the questions I was asked is like, like where do you do this? Like, where do you, like, if you're going to take a day out, like, where do you go? Like, for me, it's like, as I said, it's different places. I often try and find myself um, an environment where I can both be inside I can eat. I don't tend to fast when I do a retreat day. I fast at different points. Um, but a retreat day, I, I kind of think, well, I'm retreating to do me good. And I generally like eating. And so fasting doesn't feel like it's going to be a doing me good moment. Um, this, and so I'll go somewhere where I can eat, uh, where I can be inside, but also I can be outside. And for me, just the being able to get out and to walk around is just really helpful because walking slows you down. And it also just makes you a bit more present in that moment. Uh, and so I'd say find environments that allow you to do that. And so I have, as I said, I've got a Quaker centre I go to. I have in Birmingham, we're in a, a city, so I have a, a couple of botanical gardens that I can go to. Uh, I sometimes will go if it's overnight, which is only a newer thing as our kids have got older that enables me to do that. Uh, I'll go somewhere uh, that's usually quite urban uh, in order to uh, get a bit more perspective. I used to go for days in London because we could do that from Birmingham easily. And for me, it was weird that just being around lots of people meant I could be totally anonymous. I'd just be there and wouldn't talk to anyone. London's brilliant for not talking to anyone. Um, and would often just go and, and just would have a date, would sit in cafes, would go to the Tate Modern, which I and sit in the Rothko room, which just does me good. Uh, it's just a, a different sort of. Now, some of you are like, what is that? It's just, it makes me sound better than I am. I'm not that artistic. It's just a room with big paintings that make, they're just blocks of color. So you, there's nothing to understand. It's just pretty mellow. The lighting's mellow. Generally, you can sit in there. Everyone thinks that you know what you're looking at. You don't, it's just very chilled. And that just did me good. Um, so it's finding somewhere, my encouragement would be find the rhythm to do it with and find the place where you're going to go. Um, and let's not make it complicated. I think we can all do this. Pause, centre, continue. In terms of this moment then, I think it'd be great, as I said, we've got 15 minutes just to pray. Like, haven't you missed that? Like 20 months of not standing with someone else, having someone else lay their hand on you or you laying their hand on them and just praying. Like, I've missed that. And just realize that we come, all of us, in a different place, and yet Jesus wants to come and encounter us. That if nothing else, leave with this, that it's surely the invitation to be. And from the be, we do. But it's not just continuously doing. Um, God is never impressed by that. He wanted us. And we're enough. Which is pretty cool. Should we pray? I'm just going to 
ask God who's present with us already to just manifest more of his presence with us. And then we'll see what happens. And at that point, we're all leading, aren't we? We'll just see what goes on. Like, should we stand? Um, for some of us, we've like gagged. So like some of us, we're going to be like, I just really want someone to pray with me. And that's all right. Like, be open to saying, God, I want to receive whatever you've got. For others of us, we've been like, I just am being gagging to pray with people, to prophesy over them. Like, this is that moment where we get to do that. Let's just close our eyes. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I thank you so much that you're present amongst us. I thank you in your infinite wisdom. You said that it'd be better that you go in order that the Spirit could be sent. And Holy Spirit, we just say you're so welcome here. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You've taught us so much over the last uh, 20 months of how present you are amongst us, that you can be present moving in someone's lounge through a screen as we'd expect you to be present when we're all in the same room. But we just say we've missed being in the room together. We've missed just knowing that deep sense of connection to one another and connection to you. And we just ask Holy Spirit, would you just come now? And would you just allow us to know that resurrection life that Jesus promised. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come, would you cause us to know the Father's love that reminds us that we've got nothing to prove. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you breathe into each and every one of us that lightness, that restoration that Jesus promised. I pray, Holy Spirit, now come and just restore the very core of our being yeah Jesus